linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And if you're a regular here, then you probably are a little surprised that I'm posting another podcast so soon. Well, the truth is that uh, since I wasn't able to make it to Burning Man this year, I'm really missing the vibe of being around the tribe. And even though you and I aren't together in person right now, it uh, still somehow feels like the... Well, like we're sharing a space of some kind. Uh, <laughs> cyberdelic space, actually, uh, now that I think about it. Hmm. Well, another thing I'm thinking about right now is uh, how generous Colin K. and Lucian B. are, in that uh, they both made uh, very generous donations this past week to help offset some of the expenses incurred in producing and distributing these programs. So, Colin and Lucian, on behalf of myself, our fellow Slaughters, and uh, the Timothy Leary Archive, I want to uh, thank you both for helping us to uh, get the word out about these very interesting ideas that were held by our psychedelic elders. And I guess I should mention here that uh, there have been quite a few requests for more Terrence McKenna lately, but thanks to my sloppy record-keeping, I've lost track of the people who uh, contacted me about some untapped resources in McKenna land. I know that there were at least three fellow saloners who said they would loan me a cassette tape to digitize and uh, pass along to the rest of the salon. But as I've uh, said in the past, I've just about had to give up on email uh, due to the volume of uh, spam primarily. And uh, now I'm getting way behind in my Facebook email as well. So uh, if you were one of those people, uh, or if you know somebody who has a, a tape to loan me that uh, we could use here in the salon, uh, please send an email to Salon Tapes. That's all one word. S-A-L-O-N-T-A-P-E-S. Salon Tapes at Matrix Masters. That's M-A-T-R-I-X-M-A-S-T-E-R-S. MatrixMasters.com. And uh, I'll send you my P.O. Box information. I'd put that address out here in the podcast, but if you're listening to this program in uh, 2010 or later, uh, there's a chance that it won't be valid anymore. Now let's get on with today's program. It's a talk that Dr. Timothy Leary gave at the University of Notre Dame in the fall of 1968. And uh, if you recall, this wasn't too long after the police riot at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago not long before that. And uh, to say the least, uh, between the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, and the anti-youth attitude of the government, things were coming apart at the seams just then. On the surface, at least, it uh, was much more chaotic than the times are right now. But, uh, hey, right now may just be a lull before the storm. Who knows? Anyway, what I think may be worth knowing before you hear this talk is uh, a little bit about the audience that he was speaking to. Just four years before this talk was given, I actually graduated from that very same university, and I'm here to tell you that it was an unbelievably screwed-down place. First of all, uh, at the time, there were no women there. It was an all-boys school. And while I'm not sure if this was still true in 1968, but uh, as recently as 1964, the students still had very strict curfews, both uh, during the week and on weekends. The big revolt uh, while I was there had to do with uh, eliminating the requirement to uh, sign in at the little table outside of your dorm's chapel each morning between 7 and 7.30. Fully dressed, I might add. 
It was most definitely a training camp for fascist youth, uh, at least in my humble opinion. But uh, I'm told that things are different there today. I hope so. But uh, back in the day, this was where the Republican youth ruled the roost, and uh, our level of worldly experience uh, that we have today was practically non-existent back then. In fact, uh, I had already graduated from college before I ever heard the word marijuana for the first time. Now, just think about that for a minute. And so when you hear Dr. Leary talking about us men, that's because his audience was most likely all male. And when he's talking about drugs, he's talking to an audience whose knowledge of the subject of illicit substances was not as sophisticated as today's junior high school student. So uh, think of the talk we are now going to hear as uh, Timothy Leary telling some adolescent boys that there's a great big world out there, but they'd better grow up a bit before they begin to explore it. Now, a last word of explanation is that uh, at the very beginning of his talk, Dr. Leary calls the place Our Lady's University. And uh, although he slurs the word ours, so it sounds like he's uh, making a joke about it being an all-boys school. But I doubt if that's the case, uh, because they used to call it Our Lady's University. And back then, the thought of Notre Dame becoming co-ed was as far-fetched as the possibility of the Soviet Union collapsing. Although uh, we now know that they both have collapsed and moved on. But enough of my chatter. Let's uh, join Dr. Timothy Leary now as he takes on a very hostile audience. At least uh, that's what my alumni magazine said about the event the next month. In fact, uh, his appearance on the campus at the time was so upsetting to some of the alumni that they actually stopped making donations to the school. Me, I'd, I'd just returned from Vietnam and was about to leave on a year-long deployment to the Atlantic, so I had no time for the non-military world back then. But uh, thanks to the magic of electronics and the miracle of the Internet, you and I are going to time travel back to 1968 right now and uh, line up on Timothy Leary's side as he takes on the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Okay, I'm turned on. Are you? Uh, Dear friends of Our Ladies University, I want to say that it's a uh, particular pleasure for me to be here. I've always wanted to come to Notre Dame. After all, uh, how could you be an Irish Catholic boy from Massachusetts? Named Timothy Leary, too small to get a football scholarship. You'd have to dream someday of uh, coming to the center of Catholic wit and wisdom. (laughs) To talk about uh, God. Now, I must uh, lay it to you right at the beginning. This is not going to be a debate. I hope, dear friends, it's not a disappointment to you in this year of debates uh, <laughs> and competitions. Uh, you know, we got uh, Hubert Nixon and <laughs> Richard Humphrey debating all over the country. Um, of course, what the politicians debate about is uh, really irrelevant because uh, they're in basic agreement. I mean, uh, they believe in the system and they just want the power to run it. 
So they uh, give us the illusion of uh, fighting fiercely about words and uh, tactics and promises that we know, don't we, that uh, there's no choice there. Now what Dr. Cohen and I are going to talk about tonight is so important that there can uh, no, not possibly be debate about it, because we're talking about uh, a way of life. We're talking about religion. Uh, it's my intention to try to take you on a trip tonight, or at least let you know what my trip is, uh, my vision of uh, the city of God, my picture of uh, how man should be, and uh, where he can find meaning and revelation. Dr. Cohen will be doing the same thing. Now, uh, this may, I hope doesn't catch you by surprise that we're not going to compete. Um, we, we just can't compete. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, Notre Dame versus per, uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's uh, presenting from religious points of view. And let me tell you a little bit about uh, like a scorecard ahead of time. You don't have a program about uh, who I am and how I see Dr. Cohen. Uh, Dr. Cohen, I see as a, an eloquent and noble spokesman for the establishment. Uh, he's more than that. He's an eloquent and wise spokesman for a philosophy of life, a religious philosophy of life which has ruled this planet, or certainly the western part of this planet, for the last few hundred years. Uh, he may want to rebut me on this, but I see him as a rationalist, as a man devoted to science, who believes that little steps of uh, a man's intellect and uh, investigation lead uh, to uh, more and more uh, knowledge, but never to an ultimate truth. I see him as humane. I see him as a, an intensely social person with a social conscience. I see him as a, a nobleman of the 20th century. Um, he's the best representative of the empire. Now, what's the name of this empire? They forget. Greek, Turk, Rome. Oh, yeah, the American Empire. In other days, I would have said that uh, Dr. Cohen is the noblest Roman of them all. Now, uh, my position is quite different. Uh, I don't buy the system at all. Uh, I think it's within minutes of collapsing. Um, I try to live my life and uh, look at the world about me with the eyes of someone who uh, would live 50 years from now. So think of me, if you will, uh, tenderly, uh, as uh, some sort of a mutant or someone from another planet or perhaps uh, someone caught in a time warp and suddenly popped on the stage here to uh, talk to you about uh, how things are going to be for your grandchildren 50 years from now. I have uh, three themes that I'm going to uh, weave together in my song or my psalm. Three very simple statements. The uh, first is one that's not strange to you, but uh, it may seem surprising that uh, someone would come before you today uh, saying it. My first message is that the only purpose of life is the religious quest. The only reason for living is to seek God, to seek the divine experience, the divine union, the ecstasy, to get high and stay high. 
My second point is, oh, and by the way, see, I'm implying, and maybe I better make it explicit, uh, 50 years from now, people won't be worried about uh, getting college degrees or about uh, Notre Dame versus its next Saudi's opponent or uh, about uh, status or about uh, nationality or about money or about uh, ambition. Come on, those games will be all over. Child's play, child's play. In uh, 50 years from now, when uh, computers and uh, modern science made everything uh, the, the time of leisure, when machines will do the muscle work, and machines will do the head work, what's it all about? What's life all about? Why are we here? To build bigger and bigger machines, to do things faster and faster, and think more and more? Oh. In 50 years, Everyone will know what I'm telling you tonight, that the only reason for being here is to get on this glorious adventure of finding um, uh, the divine, unraveling the great cosmic mystery story. That's the only point, the ecstatic union, that is, get high and stay high. Not bad. I must confess I'm addicted to it. can be dangerous. I think it's legal even in Indiana. <laughs> but not in a month. <laughs> my second point has to do with tactics. How to find divine meaning. Fifty years from now, it will be a cliché that the way man will find God, the way man will have his religious experiences, the way man will control his psychology and his nervous system will be through the use of chemicals, biochemicals, not just like marijuana LSD, but uh, chemicals which are much more basic, much more powerful, much more in tune with this incredible instrument we have uh, that we call our nervous system. Uh, to put it bluntly, my second point is that dope is going to be the religion of the future. And my third point is a corollary to the first two, and that is that, uh, you see, when you start playing with your nervous system, when you start taking psychedelic drugs, or when uh, in the future man will be taking uh, chemicals infinitely more powerful and more useful, uh, everything's going to be much more complicated. Uh, you just can't drop LSD the way you uh, slug a beer. Uh, it's uh, much too intricate. So that in the future, before anyone turns on to marijuana or LSD or mescaline or the new sacraments which will come along, we take him for granted that he will have mastered 21 spiritual disciplines, 21 yogas, if you will. So what I'm saying to you is, in my third point, that I don't think that uh, any of you, or for very few of you in this room, at the present time, have uh, even an acquaintanceship with these 21 spiritual disciplines which would allow you to uh, uh, seriously and sincerely turn on. So I'm going to list 21 reasons why you're probably not ready to take drugs at the present time. Okay, one, two, three. One, the name of the game is God. Two, dope is the religion of the future. And three, a list of 21 reasons why you're not ready to turn on. You're not ready to become a an ordinary bourgeois average citizen like me of the year 2001. 
Okay, um, the name of the game is God. You know, as I read the paper, which I rarely do, why let them copy mine that way? Or Time Magazine. And I uh, see what's going on in this planet, in this country. It really is amazing. There probably has never been a time, I know there's never been a time in human history when uh, there's been more destruction and more hatred apparent and uh, finger on the trigger. Oh, yeah, Dr. Cohen will tell you that there have been times in the past, many times in the past, when men have murdered and raped and men have done terrible things to each other and to their women. Uh, sure, there's often racial prejudice and neighbors fighting and religious warfare and so forth, but there's never been a time, obviously, when uh, an Arab dictator or a crazed uh, Chinese uh, dictator had that uh, button there that he could press, or where the entire planet is uh, looped up into uh, Marshall McLuhan's global village so we know exactly what's going on, or where there's been such an intensity of hatred, north-south, black-white, east-west, you name it. And the interesting thing to me about this, because that doesn't worry me, because we've been through this many times before, and we know how the problems solve. We don't lose our cool over politicians fighting and all that, because we know what happens. We know that God always sends a man down, a group of men down to lead us back. But the thing that interests me today is, where is the voice of God? Hey, where is it? Who's saying it? Where are the men and the women that have come to our rescue in the past and stood up naked with that light shining out of their eyes as you know they've been so turned on by some revelation there's no mistaking just to be near them and you feel it. And they remind us of the truths that we tend to forget. That we're all brothers and sisters regardless of any of these other differences. That we're one with every other form of life mammalian and vegetable and that the whole thing is a unity. And that we're here for one reason and only one reason, to make love, to love God, to love our women, to love our children, to love our friends, to love people of different uh, origins. Come on. We know that. We know that's the only message. And who's saying it today? Where, dear friends, are the voices of organized religion cocking our minds and blowing our minds with that old message? So we can't possibly mistake it. I look around at the Jewish rabbis, wonderful, humane, intelligent, wise men, and I hear them concerned about the state of Israel, and about peace, and about uh, poverty, and about um, raising money for their uh, new synagogue in the suburbs. And I'm really scared because I look to the Catholic Church, which for 2,000 years has given us the divine message. And at every crucial time in human history, when the dark night of the soul, when it looked as though we were going down, there was a St. Thomas or a St. Augustine with his vision of, of the city of God on earth, or a St. Teresa battling as though she'd taken LSD, or a St. John of the Cross, or even a Pope John. And what are the Catholic voices saying today? I hear 70 and 80 year old cardinals in their quavering voices attacking the young priests and nuns about birth control. Wow. <laughs> well, I insist upon being ecumenical here. Let me attack the Protestant. <laughs> um, I hear Billy Graham on the right wing of the Protestant church saying, 
its whole thing is a crusade against atheist godless communism. <laughs> and on the left wing of the Protestant church, I hear the voice of some one wonderful and articulate and handsome and energetic and vigorous, uh, like uh, Chaplain William Sloan Coffin of Yale. Did any of you read, I'm sure uh, all of you uh, do your homework in that uh, distinguished scholarly journal known as Playboy magazine? Did any of you read the interview with uh, Reverend Coffin about two months ago? I read it several times because it really, uh, really flipped me. <laughs> Reverend, <laughs> Reverend Coffin uh, was asked, uh, Chaplain Coffin, um, what can the church today do to bring the young people back to religion and back to established uh, creeds. Reverend Coffin had the answer to that. He said, I'll tell you what the churches have to do of all denominations to bring the kids back to the fold. They've got to change their priorities. And number one on the agenda of the churches, we've got to put Vietnam. And number two on the agenda of the churches, we've got to put racial discrimination. Number three, we've got to have the ghetto. Number four, we've got poverty. And the churches have got to see that enormous, I was underlined, enormous sums of money are appropriated to take care of these evils. My God! It sounds as though the divine power is a McCarthyite. <laughs> Incidentally, in his interview, which went about 15 pages, Reverend Coffin mentioned the word God once. He mentioned the CIA about 12 or 13 times. I guess that's the devil, huh? <laughs> the only time that, that Reverend Coffin mentioned the word God was a classic Yaleism. Um, he said, uh, ah, If someone doesn't believe in God, I consider that quite unfortunate, but not immoral. <laughs> You said the same thing about being a Yale man, right? <laughs> Later on in the interview, uh, Reverend Coffin um, laid it right on the line. He made it very clear that um, why he was doing what he was doing, you know, fighting the draft and becoming a spokesman for the articulate young people, the apostle of the young people. Um, that uh, he's just part of the Yale establishment. He's just good old Bill Coffin, the left end of the bulldog Eli team. Because um, he says, later on, he's talking now to the establishment, that if the political convention is this summer, and if the election this fall gives us four more years of the same thing, the young people, in their disillusionment and in their sorrow, will leave the country in droves, or what's worse, will turn off to inner visions and private spiritual ecstasies. My God, Reverend Chapman, what's religion all about? I thought that's what we're supposed to be doing, turning on to private spiritual ecstasies and pursuing inner visions. Well, who's given us the old word? Today, I don't think anyone. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, there were a group of uh, people in this country, young people, who were saying what's always been said, reminding us of the old message about love and uh, letting your hair grow and giving everything away and not joining the Roman Empire and dropping out and 
just wandering around loving God and loving everybody and trying to live a happy life. They were called hippies. But they were called hippies not by themselves. You know, as well as I, that uh, the whole hippie thing was invented by Time magazine and uh, exploited by the record companies and uh, taken over by Madison Avenue and then when it had served its uh, purpose was just dropped. But that had nothing to do with the authentic religious movement which was going on in this country and which is growing in this country and which has spread all over the world. I can't say that. I don't know if it went to China. We're doing fine in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> the uh, hippies had the effrontery to uh, lay the old trip on us, to remind us of what it's all about, and down on their heads came the police and the uh, narcotics bureaus and the uh, health departments and uh, the uh, mass media. And, uh, of course, today, the uh, Washington Seminary means he's a hippie. Well, uh, the hippie movement is doing nicely, thank you. It's a brotherhood. It's one of the secret brotherhoods which uh, we've always had with us and which have always pulled our uh, fat out of the fire. Uh, the Islamic uh, religion calls them Sufis. Uh, the Catholic Church has seen hundreds and hundreds of such uh, movements of people who quit, dropped out of the system, and went barefoot off into the country and just uh, prayed and chanted and stayed by themselves and did good things and radiated good things. <laughs> And that was got taken over in 1,500 years, but that's all right. <coughs> this ancient brotherhood is alive today. The interesting thing is, because of evolution, uh, everyone's alive today. Everyone who's ever lived is alive today. We've got uh, more holy men, holy women wandering around the face of the earth now than we've ever had before. Of course, there are more scientists now than there were before, and there are probably more Hitlers than there were before. It all balances out. It makes for an exciting ballgame, doesn't it? But uh, don't be deceived by the uh, mass media. If all you know about the hippie movement is what you've read in the magazines, uh, you may be surprised to know that it's doing fine, that there are literally thousands of communes and uh, small groups uh, who have drifted away from the cities, and uh, you don't hear about them because uh, they, don't, uh, they don't want to be heard about. They're just uh, doing their thing and loving God and uh, working out the, the way of life of the year 2001. Now, living the life 2001 is going to involve, is going to center on the use of chemicals, which you now call drugs or dope. Now, this came to me in a revelation, but I can now spell it out for you in logical terms, which uh, seems to me hard to quarrel with. Point number one, the human nervous system is a biochemical network. Point number two, slight changes in your biochemistry completely change your consciousness, your sensing, uh, your thinking, your remembering, your perceiving, the whole works. A little pinch of chemical applied uh, to your nervous system uh, just uh, gives you a new ballgame. The discovery by man that he had chemicals which could change his nervous system could make him feel good, could make him feel bad, could make him feel loving, or could make him feel aggressive, uh, could make him feel horny, or turn him off, could speed up his uh, thinking, or slow it down, could uh, intensify his memory, or wipe it out, and do a hundred other psychological, neurological uh, things that we don't have the language for now because the psychology is so crude. This discovery by a man 
It's been known, of course, for thousands and thousands of years, but the, the, the scientific discovery of it in this decade, I think, is uh, the second or third most important thing which has happened in the long history of the human race. I would say the first important thing that happened to make us men and women is uh, when we discovered we could put our thumb this way and then put something in between. Then you had the club or you had the, the plow or the stick, uh, which has led to all of our current science. And until I, psychedelics, atomics, and electronics, that is up and through Newton, there's really no, nothing added. Uh, the machines and the jet engines and so forth is just uh, a uh, making more powerful that, uh, that one implement that man picked up uh, at the dawn of human history. As soon as he did that, he was no longer an animal, he was a different species. The second and most important thing, which probably correlated to the first, is the first time man discovered he could take a seed and he could put it in the ground. Because then he was playing God in a way. He was doing something that before only divine providence could do, uh, rule the seasons and decide what would be uh, blossoming and how much would be grown. When man put that seed in the ground, yeah, man putting seed in his woman, for us, uh, like every other form of life, but when we put that seed in the ground, something spiritual and different happened to make us uh, a different species. And the third thing, as I said, is the discovery that we can do anything with our nervous system. Now you see, that is a Promethean step, and man is enroaching upon many frightening aspects which previously had been attributed to the divine. Because what that means is that uh, you can determine your reality. If you want a different reality, you have to learn how to do it, but you can take the right chemicals, move your nervous system around, and uh, it will exist. Because you all know that what is real to you is simply what your nervous system registers and tells you is there. And you well know that if someone is psychotic, their reality is entirely different from your consensual reality. Or if someone takes a powerful psychedelic like LSD, again, reality is entirely different or multiple. Now this is a tremendously frightening step because once you start playing around with reality, you are never the same. You've uh, taken that big step. Because once you start playing around with your inner reality, with the center of your consciousness, from that point on, you're never quite sure what's really real. Because you realize how flimsy, how artifactual, how accidental what we consider real is. You know, Notre Dame, Southern Indiana, Joe Jones, United States of America. Just, a, just an accident of biochemistry, neurology, and pharmacology and be entirely different. It's pretty frightening because uh, once these realities begin to move around, it's all moving, it's all changing. You know, where was that nice, cozy place I used to have back in Notre Dame? Yeah, with beer on Saturday night and all that, yeah. Because it's just one of any number of possibilities. Now, there's no backing away from this. Electronics, atomics, psychedelics, are here to stay. We're going to have to learn how to use them. And maybe we're going to have to summon up all of the wisdom and the spiritual uh, help. And we're going to need all the prayer and the, the virtue that everyone needed in the past has got to be brought to focus on this new development which is going to take place. Now, even today, in primitive caveman, 1968, we have chemicals which can move consciousness to at least seven different levels. 
Uh, let me try to give you a, like a specific example of what I mean by that. On about two weeks, I have a book coming out called The Politics of Ecstasy. This is the theology of our new religion. I have a book came out this week called High Priest, which is the first uh, volume of our Bible. Now, what's a Bible? A Bible is simply uh, the record of the mistakes and the aspirations and the accidents and the triumphs of a group of God-seekers. Now, uh, in this theology, Politics of Ecstasy, I suggest that there is useful to think of seven levels of consciousness. Uh, and for each level of consciousness, there is a natural chemical in your body, or there's a chemical which you can get from plants and vegetables out there which are also natural, uh, to change, to move your consciousness to any one of these seven levels. I won't go into details here, I'll simply list them. Uh, sleep, stupor, motion stupor, symbolic consciousness, that's ordinary thinking, sensory Awareness, where everything is sensual. Somatic awareness, where you're in tune with your body. Cellular awareness, where you're in tune with the DNA code and can decipher that and take the reincarnation trip. And seven, the level of just electrical information, which your nervous system can decode, which, for the standpoint of alliteration, seven S's are called solar. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, there's a drug that can produce each of these states. Not only that, there are combinations of drugs which can produce, you have a table of 7 times 749 different experiences by just combining drugs. That means you take any part of it in your life and there are like 49 ways, at least, of having that experience. Let's take, for example, um, the orgasm. There are at least 49 different types of orgasms. Now, most uh, adults are um, uh, familiar with a, a sensory type of orgasm or a symbolic type of orgasm where the mind is still there. Or if you had a few, a bottle, a few slugs of whiskey, you're probably familiar with the, like the alcoholic orgasm, which is uh, better forgotten about the next day. Merciful amnesia of alcohol. Um, it is right now possible to... Uh, Permute, permute and uh, exponentially expand this experience, which uh, uh, many of us consider to be the key spiritual ecstasies of life. The point I'm making is that discipline, study, know-how, in fact, a lifetime of practice and experiment is needed to deal with the energies of the future. That's why I suggest that at least 21 spiritual disciplines or yogas will be, uh, have to be mastered if uh, you're going to be just the average person of the year 2001. <coughs> this particular sacred scroll I have in my hand is a laundry slip from the uh, Holiday Inn on which I <laughs> jotted my 21 yoga. Most of you aren't ready to take psychedelic drugs now because you haven't done much work on the yoga of the senses. <laughs> to put it in the word, uh, most of you are senseless. That is, 
the senses to you. Uh, the eye is something uh, that uh, shows you red light or green light. You can watch the scoreboard or, yes, it's five dollar bill, not a ten dollar bill. The eye is simply something that you use visually to help you in your games as you go through the plastic robot jungle that you inhabit. Uh, the ear simply to get cues. You listen to the radio, television, you listen to your lectures, uh, uh, you listen to music. Um, listen to music. Ah, that's interesting. Be careful. <laughs> uh, one of the interesting uh, byproducts of the psychedelic revolution, of course, is the, uh, the acceleration of interest uh, and experiencing in the central domain. Um, you see, when you're Consciousness is in your senses. Uh, you become the note. Your ear is one with the vibration of sounds. Your eye uh, becomes one with light rays, which are bouncing into it 186,000 miles a second. Uh, your uh, skin becomes one with the thing or person being touched. Uh, uh, now, it may not come as a surprise to an audience of uh, Catholics that the sensory realm has, since the dawn of human history, been recognized as one of the great sacramental approaches to the divine. And any religion which has uh, lasted for any time at all has utilized the sensual experience as a way of turning on the beholder, uh, getting him high, getting him elevated uh, to a, uh, a uh, God-intoxicated uh, state. And certainly the Catholic Church knows more about uh, the awakening of the senses and the centering of the senses and the using of the energy released by the senses for holy and sacred purposes than any institution that the world has ever seen. Wow, walking with those uh, middle, medieval cathedrals, um, you know, Notre Dame or Chartres, uh, the whole thing is a sensory trip. Uh, it's uh, uh, that rose window at the end. That's a monument. Shaped exactly as written in the eye. It, a mondo just pulls you right in, pulls you right in, so that you just disappear in that blind spot in the center of the retina out there, which sends retina in, in your eye. Whack. You're high. The Gregorian chant, based on a drone, just like the Hindu music of Ravi Shankar. It's a drone. It's that beat. It's that, it allows you to center yourself, like the, the, the center of the, um, of the rose window at Chartres. The incense. The, um, uh, genuflections, you move your body in such a way that you know you're not playing the game of football or of uh, uh, making out uh, or uh, any of these things. Uh, you're in a position, kinesthetic, posture, your body, your sensory uh, muscular stuff is uh, telling you that uh, you're uh, playing the metagame, that you're, uh, you're, you're seeking God. <coughs> now, um, of course, uh, the marijuana boom of the last... Uh, five years has tremendously uh, intensified our interest in, in, in the senses. Um, marijuana is specifically the chemical which turns on the senses. It, it, the mind turns down a little, uh, and instead of the emotions coming up the way it does in alcohol, the senses become alive. Uh, most of our music, most of our young art today, as you know, is sensory art, it's marijuana art. When the Rolling Stones get together with the Beatles in uh, that uh, studio in London, uh, you know, they get hot. And they goof around for hours and hours and hours and hours, and then later they come down, they edit it, and then it's sent over here to be heard by people who are hot. Um, and uh, it's well known, too, that marijuana is um, a tremendous intensifier 
of the sexual experience. Why? Because it turns down your mind, a busy computer, and it puts uh, your uh, awareness uh, into your senses and allows you to make uh, union uh, and conversation with the other person. Now, second, yoga. And all these, these sensory techniques require discipline. You just can't, you know, turn on to your senses and uh, expect something to happen. It requires hundreds and hundreds of hours of training the eye, as the Tibetans and the Buddhists do in front of a mandala. It takes uh, many, many hours of training the ear to find the drone. There's always a drone. It's the hum of the airplane. It's the hum of the river. It's the hum of the uh, electric current uh, in the building. It's the hum of the air conditioning. The person who's turned on, trained, disciplined, spiritually, uses senses, can find that sound of God any place he goes. The uh, second yoga that must be understood before you turn on is the yoga of the body getting into your somatic processes, into your autonomic nervous system. You know that many uh, Hindu adepts can do this. They they can control uh, body processes, which for most of us are involuntary. Pupillary reflexes, uh, uh, visceral reflexes, breathing reflexes, and so forth. Um, A third reason why you're not ready to turn on is because you're not psychologically centered. That is, you don't know who you are. You don't know where the center of your personality is. Uh, uh, you have to come to terms with your own personality and your own repertoire of neuroses and psychoses, or for God's sake, stay away from psychedelic drugs. Why? Because sooner or later, if you turn on your nervous system, you're going to stumble on dark rooms and chambers in your memory bank that are pretty grim. Every one of us has many aspects of psychosis. In our genetic memory banks, we have all sorts of untidy people with wild eyes and murderous looks and uh, guilts and uh, terrors and uh, confusions and uh, evils. Now, personality means you shut those up and you keep those doors locked and they never bother you. But when you turn on, any door can fly open because nothing is hidden. You see anything that's, that's around. And you might confront certain aspects of yourself that flip you up so weird and freaky that you're going to scream for a doctor and run. The so-called LSD psychosis course is an example of someone who probably would have had this happen anyway, but who has stumbled onto one of these rooms of insanity, which we all have. Unless you've been working on yourself and are prepared to face this, stick the beer inside your arm. Now, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you much detail about these 21 yogas, uh, so I'm going to run through some of them. A fourth yoga, which most of you have not mastered and must master, and which your grandchildren will have mastered, is the yoga of diet. See, the sad fact of the matter is you are what you eat. What would you have for dinner? <laughs> See, when, when you turn on to your nervous system, you can suddenly 
be catapulted into confrontation with your own digestive tract. Now, as uh, Puritan Americans who believe in cleanliness, um, we don't like to face the fact that uh, dirt is just as much part of life as uh, uh, cleanliness, and that all life comes, as a matter of fact, from um, manure. Uh, there are all sorts of untidy things we don't like to face, like the fact that we have 200 yards, is it, of the lower intestine that is uh, filled with decaying and uh, rotting food that was down there in this part of our body. But when you take LSD, uh, you are aware, can become aware, of this brute biological fact. I remember the first time this was brought home to me is the first time we ever gave LSD to Richard Alpert when we were at Harvard, and we went to his apartment, and uh, we were having a fine uh, experience there. And during the session, Richard went out to his uh, kitchen. At that time, Richard Alpert had one of those shell-of-the-door refrigerators and uh, opened the door. And Richard got next to it, and he opened the door of the refrigerator so that it came in front of his body, and he put his chin on the uh, upper door of the shell-of-the-door. And we were looking at him, and then he sees his head, and there was his body, right? And uh, oh, we're right. <laughs> you get the picture, you know. Plastic this and sarin wrap that and rotted this and where did those chops come from and you know and then Richard began looking down at his own belly and uh, a little sweat began down uh, here. Uh, Richard after eating brown rice at the moment. <laughs> you see, the yoga of diet and fasting is. Uh, one of the oldest sacramental techniques and for thousands of years. Men who wanted to find God have uh, found it useful to uh, uh, rid the body of, uh, of this stuff. We unconsciously stuck it with as though we were some vehicle that had to be fueled every three times a day and that sort of thing. I mean, uh, you, uh, if you're going to meet your maker, uh, it's fasting. For thousands of men who have come close to God, no, you, you want to come pure. You want to know exactly what's there? Yeah, a little, a little homemade bread or perhaps a little water. Or, yeah, that's right. But uh, now, uh, you know, you can get, you know, fasting can get you high. If you just go without eating for three or four days, and it's the equivalent of a couple of marijuana cigarettes. And even fasting's legal. <laughs> now, again, I want to remind you that. Uh, these 21 yogas uh, have been used for thousands of years, and the problem is that in the past, one man who has been a God-searcher, or maybe just wasn't, uh, got, he stumbled on one of these methods, fasting or sensory techniques of the body or whatever, and then he gets high, and he becomes one, he has a transit experience, then he rushes down, and he says, hey, this is the way to do it, diet, diet, diet. Now, there's no one that freaks me out more or pulls me down more than a diet freak. <laughs> Someone who thinks he can eat his way to God. <laughs> so, we mustn't go overboard in any of these 21 yogis. We have to keep them balanced. As a matter of fact, I had to develop what I call the, I used to be a psychologist to make tests, and I have a test now, which is called the Spiritual Aptitude Test. And there are 21 questionnaires. Uh, for each of these yogas, uh, and a questionnaire is about your sensory awareness and questions about your diet and fasting uh, and so forth. And if you get like a low profile of everything except one, watch out, you're a crank. <laughs> and I can even diagnose religions that way. You can go through uh, each of the great world religions and say, which of these 21 spiritual methods do, does this religion use, and which one <coughs> does this religion say is taboo? That tells you a lot about it. It's a way of diagnosing religion. I'll tell you about the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church 
uh, in his history has used every more of these yogas than uh, any other uh, religion. The only ones <coughs> the Catholic Church has not stressed are the yogas which have to do with the body, uh, the sexual and the sensory and the somatic. Um, the fifth uh, yoga which must be mastered is prayer. Now, <coughs> when I mean prayer, when I talk, say prayer, I don't mean uh, now I lay me down to sleep or some rote thing which is just rattled off. Uh, I mean your prayer. That is the prayer that is your red thread down to the essence uh, of your uh, your spiritual uh, life. You know, the Maharishi came over here uh, a couple of years ago and uh, he had a good thing going. He said, uh, pay 35 bucks and I'll lay a mantra on you. A mantra is a prayer. It's a secret prayer. And you get yours, and you get yours, and you get yours, and you get yours. Uh, and then you're cool. Then you just go back, uh, cut your hair, uh, don't take drugs, go back to school, and go to Vietnam, and just uh, remember your prayer. Now, that's a great thing. The idea of a secret mantra, a secret prayer. It's a prayer that in the dark night of your soul, when you're out there in that fringe uh, where the last ray of trust and faith and hope uh, is flickering, that's the time when torn out of your inner nature comes that gasp. It can be Mother, or it can be Lord, or it can be Our Father who art in Heaven, or it can be Om, or it can be... But it's got to be yours. Because if the prayer is simply something that you've learned at Sunday school, that's a real thing that you do that you get, like passing courses, you get merit badges for. That's not what I mean. And if you're going to get involved in changing your nervous system through chemicals, turning on, there will come a time when you're going to get so frightened that if you don't have a prayer, you're going to wish you did. The uh, sixth yoga is the yoga of meditation and solitude. The seventh yoga is the yoga of what I might call black magic or dealing with evil. Uh, there is evil in the world. There are forces and there are people that wish power and control over other people for their own purposes. There are people who, in a Faustian sense, make the contract with the devil. Oh, they don't do it in that romantic sense. They don't sit in their study at night and uh, drum up Mephistopheles and, you know, that sort of thing. But some night, when they're lying in bed, they've made that contract. They say, if I can only get to be president, or if I can only get to be head of the department, or I can only get a million dollars, or I want to get that girl. And then they begin doing what they know is wrong. That is, copying minds pressing buttons to get people to do what they want. There is black magic. Those of you who see the movie Rosemary's Baby saw a very crude example of, uh, of this. Uh, but uh, Now, the problem is that if you start expanding your nervous system, you start turning on, you start moving into the future, there will come a time when if your X-ray, telescope, microscope consciousness moves around through all the shutters of the country, you're going to see evil. You're going to see that there are people around you or forces around you that are trying to get control over your mind. Matter of fact, many of them are running for president right now. <laughs> and you're going to have to learn how to recognize and ward off and deal with evil. And when the primitive Catholic Church, Catholic Church in countries which are less civilized haha, than ours, uh, you have peasants warding off evil. Baby, I go for that. I, I, I believe it. The, um, the eighth yoga is the yoga of 
purpose of the Bible, you got to be able to train yourself to be naked in any spot of the earth and know that you can live in the jungle or the forest or somehow get back down and keep yourself going, because if you don't, you're a plastic robot just here at the courtesy of General Electric and General Motors. Um, the ninth yoga is the yoga of pilgrimage or the sacred place. Um, there are sacred places. Everyone should have at least one sacred place. It really makes you feel uh, quite forearmed and, and quite uh, centered if you know that there's some place in the world, hopefully uh, close to you, uh, where an hour, two, or three, or a day, you can get there. And then you get your foot on that holy territory, and you know you're close to God. It can be a mountaintop. I'll give you a few tips. Mountaintop's the best place to get high. Mean a mountaintop? There's nothing between you and uh, the whole galactic, cosmic, celestial system except uh, all there. You look down from on top and you can see how you used to be and how you used to strive and compete and all that stuff down there. Mountaintop, of course, you've got to be a special mountaintop. You just can't uh, sign up for them like you sign up for a cruise. you got to really work for it. Waterfalls, places by um, uh, remote mountain streams, desert, great place. Been known for a thousand years. Just got out in the desert. Immediately, you're going to peel off all the plastic and the uh, computer stuff and uh, you know, look around. There's nothing there except God. Not one man-made thing. Pretty soon, you begin to see that uh, you're not man-made either. Uh, if you don't have a sacred place, stick to beer. <coughs> a, a tenth uh, yoga is the, uh, the discipline of, of reading cyclical events. It's called prophecy, prediction. I don't care how you do it, tea leaf reading, astro- astrology, uh, computer predictions, uh, biorhythms, uh, but you've got to have some way of, uh, of conceptualizing and seeing each day as part of a sequence in which you have ups and downs and goods and bads and darks and whites and so forth, but that... Uh, uh, there are predictable sequences. Uh, your wife is going to uh, uh, have her menses once a month, and you're going to be better certain days of the month, and there's certain hours of the day, and there's certain seasons of the year, and certain years of your life when these forces, which science will know more about in the future, but we don't know now, are operating, make you a puppet, unless you have some way of looking for these uh, sequences. Um, well, that's another thing. The Catholic Church has forbidden for many years any form of prognostication, although in the early years of the Catholic Church, uh, and uh, certainly at that time, uh, forecasting and astrology was uh, not a, a Sunday supplement fad, but a very serious and thoughtful way of relating man to rhythms that he didn't understand. The twelfth, the eleventh yoga is the yoga of sex. Now, when I say sex, I don't mean Playboy magazine. I don't mean any of the sexual controversies that are swirling around college campuses these days. Uh, I refer to the fact that for perhaps the majority of religions in world history, the union of male and female has been seen as the most direct way of finding divinity. Makes perfect sense. It happens to be one of the central um, tenets in, in our series of yogas. As I look around at the findings of modern science, physics, biochemistry, and uh, you name it, botany, biology, there's this one rule. There's a proton and there's an electron. Two become one to create the new life, the new energy. Two that are opposite merge to become one and start the new thing going. 
two that are separate and isolated and dying merge and lo and behold the eternal flame starts again in um, the uh, genetics of uh, Watson and Crick and our new uh, biology it's uh, guanamine and thiamine those four amino acids one is like this and one is like this click and the RNA things runs around runs around runs around oh, where is she where is she hey where is she gotta find her there she is two made one the mystery two made one rebirth now the yoga of sex is this contract made between a man and a woman that oh I don't want to marry you because uh, we like to bowl together or we like to dance together or uh, you'd be a good uh, mother to my children no the, all, all these things are great but uh, yeah and there's that spark there right yeah you gotta have that click yeah but there's more than just that isn't there yeah our contract is that we're going to find God together we're going to take the spiritual trip together so that everything we do is not just my career and your home everything we do is a continual process of turning on getting higher and higher so that we will grow the little puppet that met at Notre Dame and what is it St. Mary's uh, that he began to uh, unfold and like two plants that become one uh, each uh, experience each aspect becomes part of this sacramental union <coughs> the twelfth yoga is the yoga of parenthood and by parenthood I don't mean uh, that you have children that you send off your school and high school and college I mean your parents as well as your children particularly your parents the average American the average Westerner has very little connection with his roots this is something that we learned from the East and have forgotten in the days when America conquered Hawaii, when the missionaries went over there to do good and ended up doing well, <laughs> went over there to take these holy, naked, sacred people and put uh, New England winter underwear on them in summer so they'd be holy. <laughs> um, every Hawaiian knew who he was. He, I'm Kyoko, the son of Kyolo, who was the son of uh, Mahahi, who came with King Kamahama to the island, who then came back, 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 back for. 800 years in Hawaii to tell you where he came from. So when he walked around the island, he wasn't a robot Westerner. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm Joe Jones and my father, my dad, and mother. Yeah, well, they're separated, but one is in Reno and one, yeah. Uh, uh. He knew that he was the final apex of a glorious vegetative life pyramid that went back, 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 and pretty soon just merged with the earth. He was the eye of the great serpent coil of life that uh, uh, he knew where he came from. Unless you know that, there comes times during Nelson's session when you face yourself in the mirror of your soul and you see that uh, you just don't know who you are. <laughs> the uh, 13th yoga is the yoga of ritual. Uh, by ritual, I mean what you think I mean by ritual, but I mean a ritual that you have worked out experientially uh, that makes, that turns you on, that has to be the way that you run your life. Ritual is very important. Ritual is to the science of religion what the experiment is to external science. It's a way of focusing, it's a way of channeling and controlling and harnessing energies which are far greater than the human mind can deal with. 
The 14th yoga is a yoga of artistic expression. We're all going to be artists in the future, but not capital A, Salvador Dali artists. We're all going to be mad artists, God-intoxicated, you know, running around building beautiful things uh, to the glory uh, of uh, the maker, of our maker. Uh, uh, we're all artists anyway. We're all painting. We're all building our sharp cathedral, whether we know it or not. And some of them look pretty uh, shoddy, don't they? In the future, the main purpose of, of a man's doing things with his hands will be uh, glorifying and beautifying and reflecting externally the best you can the glory of the uh, internal revelation you've received. The, si- the 15th yoga is yoga power. You're going to have to use all sorts of power as turned on, holy, God intoxicated people have always been able to do, not for yourself, for your own prestige, but just flowing through and get it out. Use it, more will come. The 16th uh, yoga is the yoga uh, of the obedient brotherhood, which uh, perhaps only the Catholic Church in the Western world has maintained. Uh, I belong to such a brotherhood. You all will in the future. Your kids will. Uh, you won't, won't be living in a block and your neighbors and you belong to the Yelts and the bowling club. All of you, or all of your children, or your grandchildren will belong to spiritual tribal groups that uh, uh, would give their lives and their blood and their bodies of sacred honor uh, to keep the spiritual search going. The 17th uh, yoga um, is the yoga of uh, the sacred book. The sacred book is tremendously important. It always has been. Do you got a sacred book? Would you really consult and you put in your suitcase every time you go? I mean, Gideon Bible is there in the, in the hotel when you get there. I mean, a book that's your book that you look at every day and that you consult at moments of crisis and spiritual uh, turmoil or secular turmoil. Do you... Um, the glory and wonder of a spiritual book is that it's a reminder that we're not the first people that have done all this. It's been done over and over and over again. And the sacred book is the guidebook. It's the notes on the trip that have been passed on by searchers and successful uh, pilgrims in the past. Uh, and uh, I don't care what the book is. It may be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It may be some chapter in the Bible. It may be the I Ching. It may be uh, the writings of the the turned on saints, uh, but uh, it's got to be your special book that keeps you in touch with a long line of spiritual searchers. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to stop now and just uh, tell you that the 21st yoga is the yoga of drugs. This is the Maha yoga. That, that's the, this in the future will be the key yoga. And the child will be taught that you, you can't start taking LSD in first grade, Junior, until you've mastered the 20... <laughs> Yogas. Of course, when I say master, I'm using the wrong terminology. These 21 paths to the divine are not things that you sign up for like a, a course in college where you don't win a merit badge. Well, I got a merit badge in meditation, now I'll get a merit badge in finding a holy place. Not that. The glory of this search is that it's endless. That the more you get involved in any one of these yogas, the more complex, the more energy you put into it, the more you think about it, the more you try it. It it's just keeps unfolding and um, uh, it's endless in its delights and its uh, challenges. In summary, uh, dear friends, uh, I want to uh, tell you that it's all a trip. Where is the east, the direction east? You know? Where is Rome? (laughs) That way? That east? Okay, that's east. That's west. Okay, the trip started there. We all came from there. We're all going there. It lasts maybe 80, 90 years. And the trip can be anything you want it to be. 
like it or not, ready or not, you write your own ticket. You control the instruments of consciousness. It can be any kind of trip you want. It's going to be the trip you want. Make your paranoias big, baby. The trip can be serious, heavy, responsibility, suffering. The trip can be competitive, active. The trip can be quiet, serene. The trip can be glorious, loving, loving, loving God, loving yourself, loving your woman, your mate, loving everybody. It's what you make it. Make it a good one. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Your trip is what you make it, so make it a good one. Well, I don't know how you can give any better advice than that. And uh, what a trip Dr. Leary was. Even though uh, he may have been in the lion's den, at the end there it uh, sounded as if he had uh, won them over. I know he won me over. And uh, what did you think about the part where he was talking about how things would be 50 years from then? Interestingly, it's uh, now only been 41 years since he made those pronouncements. And on my more optimistic days, I still think that what he was talking about is still possible. In fact, uh, what he was saying about people not caring about getting college degrees is uh, something that I wrote about in the Genesis generation. And so I obviously agree with him on that point. And did you notice that uh, already back in 1968 that people like Dr. Leary were lamenting the end of the hippies? So, if the beatniks held sway in the 50s and the hippies were already extinct by the end of 1968, then I guess that species had an extremely short lifespan. Although, uh, I may look like a long-haired old hippie right now. Back in the day when the hippies ruled the land, I was a short-haired naval officer, a flower child who slept through the 60s. So, I laugh whenever somebody calls me an old hippie because uh, it's only the old part that's true. Although I think that uh, maybe you and I both retain some of that wonderful hippie spirit, no matter where we were during the 60s. And uh, you might not have even been here. (laughs) Uh, You didn't miss anything, don't worry. So did you get a chuckle out of his description of life in the year 2001? And since that year is now behind us, I guess it's safe to say that uh, the good Dr. Leary was once again a little over-optimistic about the potential of humans to wake up. Of course, uh, today I do know many, many people who fit the mold of a 21st century human that he described, and I'm sure that uh, you know a lot of people like that, too. And if you don't, well, uh, then start looking around more closely, because we're everywhere. But I doubt if uh, there were any hippie sympathizers in the audience when Timothy gave the talk we just heard. To give you a little better picture of the event, I understand that it was held in Washington Hall, which is in an auditorium that was uh, built in 1881. 
and it's where they used to show the free movies on weekends to, to keep the boys out of the bars. In fact, uh, they began showing movies there in 1916, <laughs> and uh, the room holds around 600 people, and it sounded packed to me. I had to laugh at the fact that his mention of the church's absurd stand on birth control got a huge ovation, but when he mentioned the O word, there was a protracted silence, probably because uh, at the time they were still teaching that orgasms were bad. My guess is that uh, it was actually a shock silence uh, in that they'd never heard the word orgasm mentioned in public before. Just listen to that part again, and I think you'll see why uh, my character Will in the Genesis generation did the uh, fuck you, I quit dance, which uh, seems to be a comedic highlight of the book that most people seem to remember. And something I better remember to mention is that uh, either this week or next, my good friend KMO will be podcasting an interview with me in his Sea Realm podcast, which you can find at C-Realmpodcast, C-R-E-A-L-M-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, C-Realmpodcast.podomatic.com. And if you uh, haven't heard any of KMO's programs yet, uh, you don't know what you're missing. Two of my recent favorites in the Sea Realm were uh, the interview with Douglas Rushkoff, who has a compelling new book out uh, titled Life, Inc., and his podcast number 166, in which Neil Kramer interviews a farmer on whose land a crop circle recently appeared. And if you follow that phenomena, I highly recommend listening to this interview, as there is uh, very little information from the farmer's point of view, and uh, what James Shepard has to say puts uh, yet another gloss on this fascinating story. And if you want to create your own fascinating story, then uh, why don't you join me and a few thousand others in two weeks at the Symbiosis Gathering that will be held uh, somewhere near Yosemite National Park. As you already know, no doubt, uh, there are now somewhere around 180 bands and DJs that will be there, not to mention several days of workshops and uh, presentations of various kinds. I'll be speaking uh, there about something that uh, a lot of us have been kicking around for a while now, which is, if we are the ones we've been waiting for, then uh, why are we still waiting? (laughs) Also, I'll be uh, emceeing the talks on Saturday, so if you get a chance to uh, stop by the area where the presentations are taking place, uh, or come by the Arrowwood tent, uh, where I'll also be spending a lot of time, I'd love to see you and say hello. I'm really looking forward to this uh, gathering, and... uh, I now understand that uh, quite a few of the people from the recent Oracle Gathering will be there as well. And you can find all the details at symbiosisgathering.com. And uh, it looks like another family reunion is going to take place there. And for you burners who are just now dragging yourselves back from the playa, well, what can I say but bravo. I watched a lot of John Graham's video webcast of the week, and uh, it looked to me like you are most definitely veterans of the dust again. And uh, what was up with the man this year? I watched until 11.30 and he still hadn't fallen down. I I guess all of the parties got started quite a bit later this year. Anyway, uh, I hope you all made it home without too many injuries and uh, that you had a fantastic time. I sure was there with you in spirit. Well, that should do it for now. And uh, so I'll close today's podcast again by reminding you that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are freely available for you to use in your own audio projects under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. And if you have any questions about that, just uh, click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org. 
And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>